Welcome back for day two of week two of our look through the New Testament. We're doing a book a day, Romans yesterday, 1 Corinthians today. 1 Corinthians is a book about how we live by God's principles in the real world, in our contemporary world. And if you read through the book of 1 Corinthians, you're going to notice that the word Lord is prominent. The way to live by God's principles is by knowing that Jesus is Lord because he's greater than the world that we live in. And so he can help us. He can strengthen us to live by God's principles. This is a book that was written by Paul to Corinth. Now, let me just ask a, maybe an obvious question. Why is it important to know anything at all about the cities that these letters were first written to? Since actually we're reading them for what they mean to us today. So why should we even care about Corinth except that it's the title of the book? Well, here's why it's important. The Spirit moved Paul and others in the New Testament to write to specific cities, to write to specific people. And then as they were writing, the Spirit empowered their writing in such a way that they wrote in perfection. Everything Paul wrote wasn't perfect, but a few times that he wrote, he wrote in perfection because the Spirit inspired the words. But the Spirit, I believe, also inspired who he was going to write to because the Spirit knew the issues at those places that Corinth faced And that those issues were the same issues that Christians were going to face for 2,000 years. They're the same issues that we're facing today. They were the very issues that God wanted to address for 2,000 years. So although Corinth might be in the title, the address really should be every Christian that's ever lived. Because the Spirit knew who he was writing to as he was writing. So it starts with Corinth. And as you hear about Corinth, you can begin to recognize our world today and the world today in so many times in history. Corinth was a Greek city, which meant it glorified human wisdom. So they had some issues around that. It was a strategic city. Just a glance at the map tells you that this was a city that was made for strategic greatness. It was in the midst of a a four-mile narrow strip of land that if you took that, you could save a 200-mile journey around the Cape of Malia, a very dangerous journey. So it was well-traveled. This was an amazing shortcut in the ancient world. It was also, because it was well-traveled, a rich city. It had a lot of luxury. And maybe because so many people were coming through, it was a travel city, it was a trade city. It was also an immoral city. It was dominated by the worship of false god Aphrodite, the goddess of love. It's interesting. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul wrote to those who were surrounded by the false worship of this goddess of love to tell them some of the most famous words ever written about the truth of God's love. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but don't have love. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 10, Paul writes and says to the, those in Corinth, when he's talking about the immorality of our present world, and such were some of you. These were people that were one to Christ out of this lifestyle of immorality, and their lives were being changed. And God had given Paul a great ministry in this wicked city. You can read about the beginnings of it in Acts chapter 18, verses 1 to 17. 18 months of ministry in Corinth are told in just 17 short verses, verses that hit the highlights like the joy of working with his friends, Paul's friends, Aquila and Priscilla, good, faithful friends for many years in ministry, how Paul was rejected in the synagogue only to have Titus Justus offer the house right next door so that they could have Bible studies and worship together there. How the synagogue ministry wasn't even in vain, even though they were kicked out, that Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, began to meet with this new group of Christians and believed in Jesus Christ. So in Corinth, things had started extremely well, had been growing. There'd been a few problems, but overall, the growth was good. 
Paul, Paul leaves, goes to minister other places, and later on, while in Ephesus, Paul receives some bad news about what had been happening in Corinth. A group from Corinth arrived with news of divisions in the church, and also they had a list of questions from the church about what God said about certain things. So Paul sat down right away to write to them, and the Holy Spirit inspired his words as he wrote. Corinth reads in many ways like a a question and answer session with the Apostle Paul. The, The outline of the letter to the Corinthians is very simple. It's all about questions. First section is questions about relationships with other believers. That's chapters 1 to 8. And then you have questions about worship, chapters 9 to 14. And then third, questions about what happens after you die in chapter 15. Very simple outline, but Paul goes very in-depth into some of the most important issues of life. First, 1 Corinthians talks to us about questions about relationships with other believers. And in chapters 1 to 8, he talks about the disagreements that they were having in the Corinthian church, the sin that they were allowing in the church, the lawsuits that they were bringing against one another in the church. He talks also about issues related to marriage in the church and also how, how and when you should insist on your rights as a Christian and whether maybe that insistence could hurt another believer or help another believer. This is a church that was filled with disagreements, with sin. This, we often talk about the New Testament church and wanting to get back to being like the New Testament church. <laughs> The church in Corinth was a New Testament church that we would not want to copy. Maybe it reminds us too much of too many churches today. Paul writes in the first chapters of Corinthians about divisions that were going on in the church. And if you take a close look at what he writes in those chapters, you see that the divisions came out of three types of selfishness. Self-admiration, self-will, and self-indulgence. Self-admiration, they admired their own intellect, so they thought they were smarter than anybody else. Self-will, they wanted their own way, so they thought they knew better than anybody else. And self-indulgence, they wanted what they felt like they wanted. Henrietta Mears used to say, that great Bible teacher used to say, it's wonderful when a ship gets into the sea, but it's tragic when the sea gets into a ship. It was all right for the church to be in Corinth, but it was fatal when Corinth got into the church, and the immorality of the city was getting into the church and causing these divisions. And so Paul writes to say, you need to understand where this is coming from. The divisions amongst you are not because you have different ideas. Christians can have different ideas and not be divided. So if you feel division in a church or with another Christian, never think it's because of the idea. For 2,000 years, we've been able to have different ideas and not be divided. No, it's because of self, selfishness. It's because of self-indulgence or self-importance or all those selfish decisions that we can make. As he talks about their divisions, he then goes on to talk also about their relationships. He talks to them in chapter 7 about marriage and what they should do. And he talks in that chapter about the current circumstance. Apparently, there was some persecution that was going against the church. And Paul advised, maybe you shouldn't get married right now because of the persecution that you're facing. We're not exactly sure what the situation they were facing in Corinth was at the time, but we know what his advice was. And then in chapter 8, he talks about the power of love over knowledge, that just because I know something more than another Christian doesn't mean that I'm loving them in that situation. And then the second section, he turns in chapters 9 to 14 to talk about questions about worship. 
He talks about what, what to do with the order of worship and submitting to each other in worship and how to do the Lord's Supper and how to express our gifts in worship and how to share love with each other in worship. Now, as you read, starting from chapter 7 really on, Corinthians sometimes is like listening to one side of a telephone conversation. Understanding the other side is extremely important, but we don't always have the other side. So if you heard just one side of somebody talking on their phone and they said, I really think it would be wrong to get married in view of the present circumstance, you'd want to know what's the present circumstance. And should I get married? Should I have gotten married in view of the present circumstance? And unless you heard the other side of the conversation, you wouldn't really know totally what the conversation was about. And that's what happens with the Corinthians. There are one-sided conversations in it that we have to sort of assume what the other side was, but we also have to be humble enough to know we don't know totally what the other side was. And I found in that case, when you're studying the Bible and there's a lack of understanding, it's better to admit a lack of understanding than it is to force the Bible to fit your understanding. Some people, because they can only hear one side of the conversation, if Paul says something about being baptized for the dead or something like that that he talks about over in chapter 15. They, they decide, I don't understand what that means, so I'll apply my understanding to it. That doesn't ever work, because guess what? I don't know for sure. So you have to be very careful about that. Appro- approach the Bible very humbly. Now, let me just say one other thing about this section, very important. There's value sometimes to looking at an entire book of the Bible. And one of the greatest values is seeing where the most powerful passages that we know from that book, where they fit within the book. 1 Corinthians 13 is probably the best known chapter in Corinthians, maybe in the entire New Testament. It's called the love chapter. It's not in the midst. If you take a look at the book of Corinthians, it is not in the midst of the discussion of marriage. That happens back in chapter 7. 1 Corinthians 13 is in the midst of a discussion of spiritual gifts and particularly worship and how we exercise our gifts in worship. In a worship service, the greatest gifts exercised without love, Paul says, are entirely meaningless. So the best singer without love is meaningless. The best preacher without love is meaningless. That's why 1 Corinthians 13, 1 says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, of course, it's good to apply these verses to marriage and to every other relationship, but don't forget that the first and most primary application of this is the way we worship together. We got to love together as we worship together. That's one of the most powerful witnesses for Christ in this world. Then we come to the third section of 1 Corinthians. Chapter 15 is all about questions about what happens after you die. The Corinthians were confused. They thought since some believers were starting to die, that somehow that meant they weren't going to get to go to heaven or somehow they weren't going to have a resurrected body. And Paul writes to describe, no, that's not at all what's going to happen. And there's this long description of the resurrected body that we are guaranteed in Jesus Christ. Because of his resurrection, our bodies, even our bodies will be resurrected. And then Paul says, I know you're interested in that. You're going to want to go and read 1 Corinthians 15 to hear more about that. But I want to go to the end of the chapter where Paul says, and so, because he's saying, and so because of all this I've said about resurrection, and so, my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. 
So what is the personal application today in my life, in your life, of this wonderful truth of our future resurrection? Well, it's not to be proud about it. It's not to be worried about it. He says, here's the four things you do. Because you know that Jesus is going to resurrect you. He has promised it. You can count on his promise. Four things. First, be strong. You can stand on that one, no matter what's hitting you. Be immovable. You can trust in that one, no matter what lies are told to you. And then he says, always work enthusiastically. Even when your physical body lets you down, you're looking forward to a resurrected body someday. And finally, he says, know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. It might seem useless to you, but when you get in that resurrected body, you're going to know that nothing you did for the Lord, nothing you're doing for the Lord today is ever useless. You can count on that. In fact, let's end by praying about that. Our Father, we count on you. When we have questions, like the Corinthians had questions, when we have problems, like they had problems, we count on you. Because you're the answer to all of our questions. You're the solution to all of our problems. You're the hope that we need, the love that we need. So Lord, help us this day to be strong, to be immovable, to work enthusiastically, and to know that nothing we do for you is ever useless. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Tomorrow we're going to look at 2 Corinthians, the letter that some call the autobiography of the Apostle Paul.